Welcome to the Lead On Podcast. This is Jeff Orge, the president of Gateway Seminary, talking with you once again about practical issues related to ministry leadership. I'm always glad to welcome you to the podcast to talk about things that are really pressing in our lives today, and certainly this is a big issue, courage for ministry leaders. This is actually part two of the podcast we started last week. Now, on last week's podcast, I gave a definition of courageous leadership, and the definition is choosing to obey God No matter the opposition, the perceived challenges are the anticipated outcomes. And I drew that definition out of a story from Daniel chapter 3 in the Bible about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and their refusal to bow down and worship a statue of a king named Nebuchadnezzar. And in the context of that, you may remember what they said. They told Nebuchadnezzar, we will not bow down and worship your statue because God will deliver us. But... Even if he does not, we still won't bow down and worship that statue. So these men model for us what it means to choose to obey God, no matter the opposition, an enraged king, the perceived challenges, a fiery furnace that might take their lives, are the anticipated outcomes, the fact that God might deliver them or he might not. In the context of all of that, they still chose to obey God and leave the outcome to him. Now, we talked last week about how while that was an ancient story, there is still a great need for courage today. Courage to make decisions, hold doctrinal positions, confront sinful behavior, the courage to change paradigms or uphold moral values or risk public vulnerability, and yes, even the courage to preach and teach prophetically. Now, in the context of that need for courage, last week we also talked about the opposition that we face, both spiritual opposition in terms of Satan and demons, but also cultural forces, political systems, and even sometimes the Christian community that calls for us to produce and demonstrate courage in the face of opposition. And then last week we reviewed the levels of opposition we face, meaning meaning pressure and harassment, and in some places in our world, even persecution. Now, having said all of that, just to give you a reminder of what we talked about last week on the podcast, let's shift gears now and talk more proactively about what we can do to demonstrate, develop, have more courage for ministry leadership. Now, this part of the teaching really started with a conversation with my wife many years ago. Back when I was a pastor, I was preparing to uh, lay out my year of preaching, and I was talking to different people and leaders in our church about what I should preach on, and so I asked Ann, Ann, laying out my preaching plan for next year, what do you think I should preach on? And she said, I think you should preach on overcoming fear and having more courage. I think a lot of people struggle with that. And I said in response, well, Anne, I preach the Bible. I, I don't preach psychobabble. Now, you're probably cringing right now wherever you're listening to this podcast. Let me tell you, I did more than cringe. I needed to duck. Yes, I really said that offensive thing to my wife. But Anne, as she often is, gently and kindly responded. She said, well, then let me ask you to do this. Just study what the Bible says about fear and courage and just preach on that. And if it doesn't say much, no problem. But if it does say something, I think it would really help a lot of people. So I agreed to do that. And then I discovered that the concept of fear is mentioned 
over 600 times in the Bible. In fact, fear and its synonyms are used more often than just about any other topic or subject besides love. Fear is all throughout the Bible, and yet here I was at that point with three earned degrees in Bible and related subjects, and I had never discovered this primary theme. And so I made a detailed study of the problem of fear in the Bible, discovered so much about it, spoke for several weeks on the theme, and out of that developed so much of this material that I've been teaching over the years. Well, it would be tempting to try to cram all of those sermons into the next few minutes, but really that would not be helpful. So what I'd like to do instead is now move to the most intensely practical part of this teaching, and that is give you seven biblical strategies or seven biblical resources that will help you to overcome fear and develop more courage in your life as a ministry leader. Each one of these has a passage of Scripture associated with it, and I'll share that, but behind each one of these is also a lot of other Scripture that we just don't have time for today on the podcast, remembering this theme is mentioned over 600 times in the Bible. So, what are these seven strategies, seven themes, seven resources you can draw on to develop courage and overcome fear? Well, the first one is this. You must experience salvation. The Bible says in Romans chapter 8, verses 14 and 15, all those led by God's Spirit are God's sons. For you did not receive a spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you received the spirit of adoption by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. This Bible verse says if you are not yet a Christian, You are a slave to fear. But it also promises that if you have become a Christian, that your spirit of slavery to fear has been broken. You are no longer a slave to fear. Now, there's great news here. The great news is that you can be liberated from fear and learn to live in a more courageous way that you don't have to be bound by your fears. Your fears don't have to dictate your behavior. You don't have to be restricted or limited by your fears. You can face them and overcome them because your slavery to fear was broken in the moment of your conversion. Now, I'll just add two sub-points to this. First, if you're not yet a Christian, if you're not yet a Christian, I have really bad news for you. You are enslaved to fear. And there's really nothing more I can say to you because the rest of what I'm going to teach you today isn't going to help you. First, you must be liberated from fear's control and have that yoke of slavery shattered. And once you've done that, then you can start living in a way that isn't dominated by your fears. And the only way to have that spirit of slavery broken is to come to faith in Jesus Christ and experience conversion through him. So I implore you today, if you're not yet a Christian, become a Christian. If you're not yet a believer and a follower of Jesus, become one. And in that moment, your slavery to fear will be broken. But another sub-point of this is, just because your slavery to fear has been broken, slavery as a taskmaster has not gone away. Fear still 
wants to dominate. It still wants to take control. It still wants to act like your master. Your slavery to fear has been broken, but fear is still very much alive, very real, a force to be reckoned with. So the first strategy that you can implement in overcoming fear and becoming more courageous is to become a Christian. And in that moment of your conversion, your slavery to fear has been broken. And while fear remains a harsh taskmaster that wants to enslave you all over again, now you have some additional resources to bring to bear to walk, if you will, free of fear in your life. So the second strategy. The second strategy is to practice God's presence. Practice God's presence. The Bible says in Psalm 118.6, The Lord is with me. I will not be afraid. What can man do to me? The Lord is with me. I will not be afraid. It is so comforting to know that someone is with us in a scary place. A number of years ago when I was in my first pastorate, Our church had remodeled before I arrived and added a foyer onto the front of the auditorium, lengthening the building and giving more room for people to fellowship and be together uh, before and after service. But there were no windows in this foyer, and because we were a Baptist church, we were too cheap to move the electrical switches from their original installation point over to the new doors. And so in order to get the lights on in this dark foyer, you had to come into the room walk very carefully across this foyer, hoping that you didn't bump into anything, and then find the light switches on the wall and flick them on. Well, one night, late Saturday night, I said to my young son, Casey, who was about four or five at the time, hey, we need to go up to the church. I forgot to do something. You want to go with me? Well, of course he did. Yeah, I'd love to go, Daddy. We piled in the car, went up to the church, walked up to the front door. I started unlocking it, and I realized just how dark it was outside on that cold winter night and just how dark it was in that foyer. And so I opened the door and stepped inside and was inching my way along in little tiny baby steps, working my way toward that foyer, uh, toward that light switch in the foyer, when suddenly someone reached out and touched me. Now, I can't do it on the podcast because it would probably fry our equipment, but I screamed like a 13-year-old cheerleader. It was a terrifying moment. I'm alone, I'm in a dark place, and someone reached out and touched me. Well, when I finished screaming, my son said, It's okay, Daddy. I got a hold of you. (laughs) Oh, man, that felt good. It felt good to know who had a hold of me in the dark that it wasn't someone trying to do me harm, but it was my son who was reaching out, reaching out to me, with me in a dark place. And in the moment that I discovered it was him and not anyone else, suddenly I was no longer afraid. Well, that's a funny story. How about a more serious one? In 1994, I was diagnosed with cancer. I had to have two surgeries in six days, and the second one was a pretty difficult experience. Won't go into all the detail here, not necessarily important, but it happened in the, the surgery happened in the evening, and so I went through a long, slow, difficult night. I remember that night I 
was so addle-brained, I, I couldn't remember any scripture verses except just one little phrase, weeping lasts for the night, joy comes in the morning. And I was so out of it that I couldn't even really pray a coherent prayer. I could just say one, one sentence over and over, God, get me through to morning. So I, I lay there in that bed, unable to speak, all bandaged up in my neck area where I'd had the second surgery. And I would pray out in my mind, uh, I would say the verse, weeping lasts for the night, joy comes in the morning. And I would pray my simple prayer, Lord, get me to the morning. And I would try to doze off and wake up and look at the clock and like one minute or two minutes would have gone by. It was a long and difficult night. But what got me through the night was not just that one scripture verse and that one short prayer, but what got me through the night was my wife, Ann. She sat by my bedside and held my hand uh, through the night. In fact, in my book, The Painful Side of Leadership, I wrote on the dedication page that that book was written for Anne, who held my hand through the darkest night of my life. You know, what got me through the night was somebody holding my hand. Someone was with me, never left my side, stayed by me. And that gave me all the strength I, I needed, and really it was all the strength I had. So let's go back to the verse. The Lord is with me. I will not be afraid. In that dark foyer, my little five-year-old son was with me, and that took away my fear. In the dark night of my soul in 1994, my wife held my hand through the darkest night of my life. And in that night, because she was with me, I made it. But think how much more, how much more it matters that God is with us. God is with us. And in that context, our fears evaporate. Now, I'm going to teach you a prayer that I pray often as a seminary president. It's a deep theological prayer. You're going to be so impressed with how magnificent it is and how, uh, our, our, how articulate and just how, how flowery the language. Oh, it's a great prayer. It's actually the second most often uh, prayed prayer in my life. My number one prayer is, Lord, give me wisdom. That's my number one prayer. But my second prayer is this. Are you ready? Lord, here we go. That's it. I prayed that prayer hundreds of times. Oftentimes when I'm sitting on a platform, getting ready to stand up and speak, feeling weak, undone, not sure of what to say or how to say it, I'll just bow my head and say, Lord, here we go. I know you're with me. Here we go. I'll often do this when I'm about to walk into a meeting, especially one where there's going to be difficult things discussed. I'll put my hand on the door, and before I open the door, I'll say, Lord, here we go. Just that simple prayer, a conversational moment with my Heavenly Father, reminds me that God is with me. And his word says, the Lord is with me. I will not be afraid. So your first strategy, the first principle, the first theme for developing more fear and overcoming, or for developing more courage and overcoming fear is to experience salvation. But second, practice God's presence. Now third, a third tool to use in overcoming fear and developing more courage, is to confront fear with truth. The Bible says, The Lord is my light, which is always a symbol for truth. 
The Lord is my light and salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? The Lord is my truth. And because of that, I will not be afraid. Now, some of you who are hearing the podcast know my wife, Anne. I sometimes describe her as a preschool teacher with a casserole. She is the sweetest, kindest woman. But she's come a long way in her capacity for handling her fears. When I first met her, she was so shy she couldn't really look at you when she spoke to you. She kept her head down a lot. She certainly wasn't willing to do any public speaking or anything like that. And, of course, now she's flying around the country speaking at conferences and retreats and places like that. She's teaching classes here at the seminary and doing all kinds of mentoring and leadership roles. Who would have ever dreamed that my wife would do those things? My wife, as she asked me to do those years ago, wanted to develop a way to overcome her fears because she knew her fears had a hold of her. And those fears were deeply ingrained. Her father passed away when she was 12 years old. She was very close to her father. He was a wonderful, godly, and, uh, and uh, a man who made a powerful impact in her life. He died suddenly and unexpectedly. Because of that, she's always had a fear of abandonment and uh, last loss of confidence and a, a sense that life could come, be, could come undone at any moment. You get the idea. My wife has deeply struggled with her fears. But a number of years ago, she started memorizing Scripture to confront her fears. Memorizing Scriptures to confront her fears of abandonment. Memorizing Scripture to confront her fears about the brevity of, the sudden, of life and the suddenness of death and about the potential that I might not be a part of her life. Those kinds of fears. Uh, she started confronting her fears about uh, loss of resources and about being uh, uh, destitute or without or not having anyone to care for her. All of the fears that were ingrained in her as a child by the experience of losing her father and many other things that went along with that, all of those fears had to be confronted. And so she started memorizing Scripture. And every time one of those fears would rise up, she'd say, oh, these fears are not real. Truth is what's real. And the Bible says this about this subject. And she would quote the Scripture, sometimes out loud, but always at least in her mind, reinforcing, I'm going to live by truth. I'm going to make my decisions based on truth. I'm going to decide things that are done on a basis of truth. I'm going to do the truth, not let my fears dominate me. Listen, the third resource you have for overcoming fear is to confront it with truth. So what are you afraid of today? What are you afraid of? Write those fears down and then go to your Bible and find verses that speak specifically to those fears and memorize those verses so that you deeply ingrain truth in your mind, so that it is more deeply ingrained than the fears that so easily control you. Number four, the fourth thing you can do to confront fear and develop more courage is to pray about your fears. The Bible says this in Psalm 34, 4, I sought the Lord, and he answered me and delivered me from all my fears. I sought the Lord. I prayed, and he answered me. And what did he do? He delivered me from all my fears. Notice the Bible doesn't say, he delivered me from fear. Fear is always going to be out there. But it says, he delivered me from all my fears, the fears that had control of me. Oh, fear is still out there, but fear no longer controls me. I have been delivered. 
Do you pray this honestly? God, I'm afraid. Man, sometimes I do. I find myself in my devotional saying, God, I'm afraid of what people are going to say if I make this decision. God, I'm afraid of what people are going to write if I publish this article. God, I'm afraid of what people are going to say on social media if I take this position. God, I'm afraid of being misunderstood if I try to stand up for this person. God, I'm afraid. God, I'm afraid our seminary won't have the resources to do everything it needs to do. God, I'm afraid if I make a wrong decision, we're going to run out of uh, the uh, opportunity to uh, impact this, this, uh, this community or this market or this uh, program. God, I'm afraid. Talking openly with God about your fears is a strategy for confronting them and overcoming them. Praying about what you're afraid of and asking God to step in on your behalf will alleviate your fears. So pray about your fears. Let's review again. What are the resources for overcoming fear? Experience salvation, practice God's presence, confront fear with truth, and pray about your fears. Number five, a fifth strategy is to take action in faith. Now, the verse that I want to use is from James chapter 2, verse 17, and it says this, In the same way, faith, if it doesn't have works, is dead by itself. Now, you may say, well, unlike your other passages, that, word, that passage doesn't have the word fear in it, and you're right, it doesn't. But what I discovered in studying a lot of Old Testament passages, and a few in the New, where God told a person, don't be afraid, Their fears were not removed until they took action in the face of whatever it was they were afraid of. So their fears backed up when their actions stepped forward. In other words, their faith was actualized when they actually did something about it. So uh, whether you're talking about people like Ezra or maybe Nehemiah or even Gideon, you can find examples in the Old Testament and even some in the new, of people who said they were afraid or were told not to be afraid and then took action in faith anyway while they were still struggling with their fears before faith started retreating. But in the face of faith, of faithful deeds, moving people forward, faithless fear retreated. So take action in faith. Now, one of the clearest examples of this, of course, is sharing our faith with other people. You know, my doctoral degree is in evangelism, and you'd think by now I wouldn't be afraid of sharing my faith with anyone, but I'm being honest with you today. There's still times when I'm trying to share my faith, when I get anxious and nervous, and I'm not sure what to say, even get a little uh, tongue-tied or a little addle-brained. It's just hard sometimes to share my faith, but I've learned this. If I'll just start trying to communicate the gospel My fears recede, and confidence takes its place. Fear backs up when faith steps forward. So, a fifth strategy for overcoming your fears and developing more courage for ministry leadership is to take action in faith. Just get up and get moving. So once you know you're saved and practicing God's presence and confronting fear with truth and praying about your fears, once you've done all that, get up and get moving. Again, Anne is a good example of this. Anne does not really enjoy public speaking. She doesn't thrive on it. She could go the rest of her life and not do any more of it. Uh, 
And quite honestly, when she was a younger woman, she had a lot of fear about speaking in public. She was afraid of saying the wrong thing. She was afraid of what people would think. She was afraid of being up in front of people and being exposed in some way in that regard. She was just simply afraid. And when she started getting invitations to speak in public, particularly after we came to the seminary, she struggled with whether to accept them because it was so hard for her to do it. And one day I remember this conversation. I said, Ann, you really don't have to do this. No one has a job description for you that demands you be a public speaker. Just say no. You don't have to put yourself through this. She stuck her chin out and she said, but I'm going to do it. And then she said, God has put a microphone in front of my face, and I'm going to start talking because I really think I might have something to say, and I'm just going to start talking and trust that something good is going to happen. That's exactly what I'm talking about here. My wife was a Christian who was practicing God's presence and confronting her fears with truth and praying about her fears, but she still was struggling with those fears until she did what? Started talking into the microphone and watched her fears back up as her faith motivated her to take action, to take action. And in the context of doing so, her fears receded. Well, now we're down to number six, one of my favorites. Another strategy for overcoming fear is to receive God's love. In 1 John chapter 4, verse 18, the Bible says this, There is no fear in love. Instead, perfect love drives out fear. Because fear involves punishment. So the one who fears has not reached perfection in love. This is a memory verse that's meant so much to me over the years. Perfect love drives out fear. And the next phrase, so significant, because fear involves punishment. You know, because of my upbringing and because of my uh, personality and because of some of my sinful flaws, I'm a driven perfectionist and legalist. That's who I am in the core of my being. And so because of that, I've always had unrealistic expectations that I tried to live up to. And when I didn't achieve those, I felt like a failure. And I've always been afraid of failing. There's that word fear. I've always been afraid of failing. And so because of that, I've been a driven legalistic perfectionist who has tried to come up to these imaginary standards that only I created, that only I knew existed. And because of that, I've lived a lot of my life in frustration because of my fears. And then this great verse, perfect love drives out fear because fear involves punishment. Fear is what results when you feel like you need to punish yourself because you didn't come up to those imaginary standards of perfectionistic legalism that you've created in your life that you constantly use to beat yourself up and produce shame and all of that punishment that you're inflicting on yourself is coming out of the fear that you have of not measuring up because you really believe that your performance is the basis of your not only happiness in life and fulfillment in ministry, but now get this, your performance is the basis of your relationship with God. For so many years in my life, I let performance drive my sense of relationship with God. And then I learned there is that perfect love drives out fear because fear involves punishment. So the one who fears 
has not been perfected in love. I have learned that God loves me. He accepts me. My performance does not determine that. And once that reality settled deep in my soul, fear started evaporating from my life. Well, finally, one more strategy. And that is, and it may surprise you, fear can be removed when you obey God's laws. Hebrews 10 26 and 27 says, For if we deliberately sin after receiving the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins, but a terrifying expectation of judgment and the fury of a fire about to consume the adversaries. Man, that is a a strong warning. If we deliberately sin after knowing the truth, it says that we should have a terrifying expectation of judgment. So if you're out there today and you're involved in adultery or uh, sexual abuse, you're involved in stealing from your organization or breaking rules or laws that you know are immoral or illegal or unethical in any capacity, and you know you're doing it and you're afraid of being caught, you should be very afraid. In fact, the Bible says you should be terrified because you know what's right and you're willfully doing what's wrong, and you are terrified, afraid of being caught, of what you're going to, the price you're going to pay when your sins are revealed, of the cost to your career and your family, your reputation, your ministry. Well, the Bible says the only way to deal with these kind of fears is to stop it. Stop the behavior that you know is wrong. And when you stop behaving in that way, Your fears are going to go away because you won't be hiding anything anymore. Own up to what you've done. Take your consequences and get it behind you. And fear of being exposed for what you're doing will go away. Well, in the last two podcasts, we talked about developing courage for ministry leadership. And particularly in this podcast, seven biblical strategies for overcoming fear, leading to more courageous decisions more courageous leadership, more courageous living. So today, experience salvation, practice God's presence, confront fear with truth, pray about your fears. When you've done all that, take action in faith, believing that when you receive God's love and obey God's laws, fear will be overcome. Courage will be demonstrated, and you will be the kind of leader you must be in this generation to make an eternal impact. We need ministry leaders with courage. Put these principles from today's podcast into practice, and you will demonstrate more courage as you lead on.